Hello, everybody. How you doing out there tonight? It's your boy. It's your man. It's Mr. Talk 718 with Talk Life, the podcast. Today, I want to talk about protecting the black woman, the most disrespected person in America, and why. Oh, man. This is a real touchy, feely type of subject because I completely understand what's going on in America, and um, we need to fix it. It's atrocity, it's sadness, it's hurt, it's sorrow that come to my mind when I think about how much our women go through, our black women go through, and it doesn't really matter how she move, how she act, how she feel, how she look, how she dress, we have to take the time out and actually get to the bottom of what's going on. And in America, the black woman is the shoulder that the black man have stood on for generations. We stood on them shoulders for generations. They have started movements, these women. They have birthed our children. They have dealt with abuse and so much more. Yet the hardship and the emotional strain has never left the black woman. We say we love her. We say we honor her. But do we? Do we really do all the things that we say we do? Because I know for a fact, when I think about my mom, and then I think about dealing with a woman that's not my mother, right? I think about how would that woman's child feel. I think about my moms on a regular basis. See that woman right there beside me, behind me? That's my mom. I love that lady. And I wouldn't dare allow any man to disrespect her because I have to protect her by all means necessary because you got to remember, when we were children, our parents, our mom, most of us grew up in single family homes. But to those who haven't, y'all still get it. Because when it was all said and done, when dad was out to work, mom was always there. You know, let me just say, you know, like boys to men say, don't talk about my mother. Remember that? How many of y'all remember that saying? Don't talk about my mother. Don't talk about my mother. Don't talk about my mother. But they forgot that they are dealing with mothers, sisters, aunties, nieces, daughters, Shouldn't they have the same respect as your mom or your sister? Would you not pick up a gun, pick up your fist? Wouldn't you not put money to a, a, a lawyer or what have, whatever you have to do to protect your sister, your mom, your aunt, your granny? Man, we better start respecting our women. Respect them like you res respect your mom. Because you got to think, we don't know what our, our mother's been through to give us the life that we, we had, but they demand respect from you and from anybody else, right? See, the every day, every day, we stereotype our black women and point fingers. We tell them, don't do this and don't do that. And then what do we do? We go out and we do exactly what we asked them not to do. Be faithful. We asked them to be loyal, be honorable, right? Be respectful. 
And then we break down every word we said to her and do exactly what we asked her not to do. We do it ourselves. We will say that that's what whores wear. That's what whores do. That's what this, that, and the third. We will we give them those names and not realizing what we're doing to our women. We're breaking them down. That's a mental control issue. So we break them down. And then you wonder why we have so many women out there going through the psychological, emotional things that they're going through in the year 2020. And this is nothing new. This is old. It's been going on for generations. This is a, a newly generational thing. This has been going on for the least, at least the last 40 to 50 years. They broke down they broke down the black family. They broke it down. We had that. We lived it. Our grandparents could tell us all about it if we'd listen. But we need to listen. Right? We go out there and we stereotype our black sisters, our black women, and then we go out there and we are attracted to the very thing we oppose. We'll see, we'll see a female and we will tell our woman not to, right? We will say, don't do this and don't do that, right? But again, we would go out and we would deal with the same type of person. It doesn't matter the color. If a woman dresses provocatively and we tell our women not to dress provocative, that's a, for, that's a sense of control. That's not protection. You have to protect your women and make her understand how, if I'm with you, we together feel comfortable. Because I got your back. That's protecting your woman. I'm going to tell you. Anger and abuse to black women is very high by all groups of people, from Asians, in our community, opening up nail salons, beating up our grandmothers, right? To us black men, all white men, Spanish men, verbally and mentally and physically abusing our wives. That is unacceptable. You ask me why? Let me ask you why. I'm going to ask you this. Don't ask me that. I'm going to ask you this, right? Name a time when your moms, your girlfriend, your lover, your sister, your friend, homegirl, how many, how many times have they came out of the blue and had your back? They didn't even come out of the blue. They was there for you from day one. How many times? Name a time that they was not there. They always stand up in times of difficult situations when it comes to us men. Always. You name a time that they have not. I don't care. You can give me an example of a hood rat, right? We're going to say hood rat, right? And they will get up and they will get out and they will support that man out of love, out of affection out of whatever feeling or emotion, or just out of being a strong woman to hold that man down. 
See, I learn every day I learn. So, yes, I still believe that we have to be a specific way towards each other. And, and we have to be a positive light towards each other. So that means if we're doing something that might be deemed negative, we have to fix that in order to become a stronger force. But that don't necessarily mean I'm going to turn around and say, I can't with you, sister, because you dress like that. Or I can't with you, sister, because you act like that. Or I can't, I can't be your friend because you have a different mindset. I don't particularly care for a sister like Candace Owens, but guess what? She's a sister, right? And I know even though she's, she's married to whoever she's married to, guess what? If she needed me as my sister, as a black woman that needs to be protected from whatever the situation is, I'm going to protect her. That's my job. Because the black woman is the most disrespected woman, person, human in the United States. And I don't, I, don't, I don't mean by white people. I mean by everyone. See, this is not a black or white thing. This is a thing that's going on, period, to black women from everyone. I read an article, and the woman, she I guess it's a blog, she was like how she feels that black men don't like black women. I, I disagree. I feel like you have every right to be with whoever you want to be with. But when it comes down to protecting your sisters, you have to protect them. That's just, it is a no given. I don't have to be with the, uh, with the sister to love my sisters. You see what I'm saying? Because love is a strange thing. So at the end of the day, if I meet someone and we are compatible, I can't do nothing about that because that's what happens. But at the same time, I'm not going to let nobody disrespect my sisters. I'm not going to use the term queen. I'm not going to use the, the term uh, goddess and all of that. No, they're my sisters before they're anything. You get what I'm saying? Black women, they stand up in a time of difficulties, lockdowns, killings. Who is it that always is on the front line and center that same unprotected black female? If you look at this video right here, this picture of the lady, open lunch counters to all, where is she standing at? She's standing in front, front and center. Nobody ever pays attention to that. These sisters is always out there to protect us. That's my mama again. Love that lady. Look how beautiful she is. I get my heart from her because she's a loving woman. It's crazy. We got to protect our people. We got to protect our women. It's a, it's a shame. But I'm going to show y'all something. I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach. I'm going to give y'all a few women that just basically was there on the front line. And it don't matter what they were doing. It was to, to make a change for, for us. This is how strong the black women are, and they're always going to be the strength. Anytime we're down, we always run to mama. Who is mama? 
what didn't Tupac say always oh, was the black queen mama for you it wasn't easy to raise a man it wasn't whatever I'm not a Tupac fan but I know he said it was it wasn't easy for his mother to raise him because he was a man but she did her best job and hence this is why she'll always be a a black queen even though she did the things she did she took it took strength and perseverance it took the ability to look at herself in the mirror and say, you know what? I got to get my life together because I'm raising, I'm raising a male child. And I need him to see how a woman is supposed to be treated. My mom's, man, if I tell you all the stories about me and my relationship with my mom's, man, that's my best friend. But we've been through some things. Not bad, but it's her testimony to tell. Okay, so there was a woman named Reverend Dr. Pauli Murray. She was born in 1910 and died in 1985. She was the professor at the Brandeis University in 1970. The draft woman of civil rights victories. This woman was the cornerstone of Brown versus Board of Education in Topeka. The 1954 Supreme Court case that ended school segregation, but the lawyer, Episcopal priest, pioneering civil rights activist and co-founder of the National Organization for Women wouldn't be made aware of the extraordinary accomplishment until a decade after the fact. Why they didn't tell her? In 1944, Murray was the only woman enrolled at Howard Law School and at the top of her class while discussing Jim Crow laws, Murray had an idea. Why not challenge the separate in separate but equal legal doctrine, Plessy versus Ferguson, and argue that segregation was un unconstitutional, and this theory became the basis of her 1950 book, State Laws on Race and Color, which the NAACP attorney Thurgood Marshall called the Bible of Brown versus Board of Education. This is a black woman, a black woman, standing up to ch make changes for all of us men, women, brothers, sisters, mothers, aunties. She was out there, she was doing it, and she stood up against the system. And this is why we need to protect our women. Because if we protect them, right, we will have a bunch, man, I'm telling you, the, the, the women are the activists. They, they, they get out there and they fight. They get out there and they fight for a cause. It don't matter what the cause is. It could be a bad cause. But if she believe in it, she's going to hold you down or rather push you up. Right? Nobody can't tell me nothing about no black woman. I, there's a lot of people on the internet, a lot of men talking about how black women are, are, are this, that, and the third, and they, they have all these issues, even with them. If you don't like what they're doing, it's our jobs if we don't like something to bring that woman to the side and we teach them and educate them. That's what, that's what our jobs are. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be the one that's teaching and educating. Because if we don't like something, how would the, if, if I don't, if, if you see me and you don't like something that I, I'm doing, right? If you don't say anything, wouldn't that be me being lost in the source? Because you're not liking something and you're not telling me, so there's no communication. So if there's no communication, how would I know that I'm doing something wrong? Right? 
See, that's what the problem is. We can't protect each other because we don't talk anymore. We can't protect the black woman because the black man don't want to get out there and get off of this, this high and mighty egotistical bull crap that they're on and talk to their sister or their wife or their mother or their daughter or their girlfriend or their best friend. Let's talk. Let's have the dialogue. We want to build a strong community. We have to talk. We have to. I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to talk about a few people, and I'm going to get off of this, but I want y'all to look these names up if you can. So the first woman, black woman, held it down, fought the system, civil rights. Her name was Reverend Dr. Pauli, P-A-U-L-I, Murray. All right? Now, this young lady right here, you know, this lady right here, when I think about her and I think about the pictures that I saw of her son and, yo, it, it just, it breaks my heart because it took over almost 100 years for the, the person to admit that he did not do what they said he did. The name, this, this, this black, strong, powerful woman, her name was Mamie or Mammy Till Mobley. So y'all know who I'm talking about, right? Emmett Till. This, this is his mom, right? Inspirational mother of a martyr. Mammy Till Mobley. Story is one of triumph in the face of tragedy. Though she never sought to be an activist, her resolve inspired the civil rights movement and broke the emotional chains of Jim Crow. The Reverend Jesse Jackson would remark upon her death. On August the 28th, 1955, Mobley's 14-year-old son, Emmett Till, was brutally murdered in Money, Mississippi by two white men who claimed that Till had wolf-whistled at one of their wives. When Till's mutilated corpse was found three days later in a Tallahatchie River, Mississippi officials tried to dispose of the body quickly, but Mobley obtained a court order to have her only child's remain returned to Chicago. Though his casket arrived padlocked and sealed with the state seal of Mississippi, Mobley insisted that her son's brutalized body be displayed during this funeral. I want the world to see what they did to my boy, the grieving mother explained. Miss Mobley did a profound strategic thing, Jackson later told the New York Times. More than 100,000 people saw his body lying in the casket. At that time, the largest single civil rights demonstration in American history. Until her death in 20, uh, 2003, at the age of 81, Mobley advocated for underprivileged children and against racial injustice. Although she never got justice for her son, the murderers were acquitted by an all-white male jury. So right there, you see, it wasn't none of her peers. Mobley didn't let, her, um, Mobley di Mobley didn't let it dampen her spirit. As she told a reporter, I have not spent one minute hating. Hmm. We have to protect our women because these are the type of things they do for us. They did for us. Don't we need to bring up a new generation of new activist black women? Because, I mean, they go hard. And you can't never say anything about a, a, a woman that's black and that's an activist. They just, it, man, my heart goes out. I mean, just thinking about Emmett Till, just, it, it just it messes with me, you know? He was so young, and it's still going on today.
But that's another story for another time. But just know that we have these women out here, they're fighting. I mean, even though, you know, everybody is not into the protesting, I am for the protesting. Just to give y'all a heads up, I've protested. I've been out there. I've had my signs up. I've screamed. I've yelled. I've been dehydrated, nearly passed out. I did it all. You know what I mean? Um, I march for black equality movement. Um, we, we are not affiliated with Black Lives Matter, but I understand the movement of Black Lives Matter, right? And we was out there. You see these women? We demand equal rights now. This is what's going on today. And it's bigger because it's still going on. Over 100 days of protesting. And if you look, and when you see people speaking, who do you see? You see the women. All groups of women, black, white, Hispanic, all women of color. But you see how that black woman is out there and they're forceful. They're making their voice be heard on behalf of what's going on in, in the world of America. We, we, have to, we have to hold these women up, man. We have to make sure we hold them up, right? And we got to make sure we protect them by all means, any means. Like we would protect our moms. We have to protect these women out here, these black women. Look how beautiful these sisters are. Look at that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Nobody can't tell me nothing. Look at that. Look at all that melanin. Look at all that natural hair. Look at, I mean, who wouldn't want to protect that? And it don't matter how they act. Because each one teach one. So if I was acting up, I would love for a, a beautiful sister to pull me to the side and say, brother, like when I was young, I had a sister, she, she pulled me to the side, Caribbean woman. She said, brother, you have such a handsome face. Why you keep, why you cutting your eyebrows? Cause you know, back in the days, it was like three cuts in your eyebrows trying to wild out. Yeah, it was a sister. She set me straight. When I, when I, was, when I was at work, it was a sister who said to me, I'm not, an, I'm not a body, I'm an officer. And from that day on, I've used the same term. I, th there is no bodies. If you have a title, you are what you are. That's your title. When I was younger, my mother said to me, son, if you are dealing with someone and you cannot afford to buy them anything to eat, why be with them? Because when I was younger, I'm going to be honest, I had women who wanted to just do things for me. But I didn't know any better because at the end of the day, that's what I kind of saw. I saw my mom, you know, deal with my, my brother's father, and she was the provider. She was out there getting it. So I thought it was okay. But my mom pulled me to the side, and she set me straight. She, she let me know that, you have to protect them and provide for them. And, 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 and then as I got older, I realized not only do I have to do that, but I have to let her have her, let her be equal to me and not feel like I'm a patriarchal person, but I'm a person of duality, dualism. Respect is equal. There's no, you respect me more than I respect you as equal. So, my protection mechanism was being forged when I was a kid, when my moms put me on to how I should really be as a man, if you get what I'm saying.
Let me give y'all another person. Her name is Claudette Colvin. She was born in 1939. This is, now, everybody loved to talk about Rosa Parks, and that's what's up. But this teenager who refused to give up her seat before Rosa, when Claudette Colvin, high school in Montgomery, Alabama, observed Negro History Week in 1955, the 15-year-old had no way of knowing how the stories of black freedom fighters would soon impact her life. This is her, and I quote, I knew I had to do something, she later told USA Today. I just didn't know where or when. Colvin got her chance on March the 2nd, 1955, when she boarded a bus in downtown Montgomery. She and three other black students were told to give up their seats for a white woman. Three people for one? That don't make sense. Colvin, emboldened by her history lesson, refused. My head was just too full of black history, she stated. It felt like Sojourner Truth was, was on one side pushing me down and Harriet Tubman was on the other side of me pushing me down. I couldn't get up. Colvin was arrested and eventually put on indefinite probation. What does that mean? Psst, that's crazy. Though Colvin's uh, courageous act occurred nine months before Rosa Parks' similar protest, the NAACP chose to use the 42-year-old civil rights activist as the public face of the Montgomery bus boycott. As they believe, an unwedded mother, Colvin, became pregnant when she was 16, would not be the best face for the movement. Colvin felt slighted, but later joined three other women, Mary Louise Smith, Aurelia Browder, and Sue McDonald, as the plaintiffs in Browder versus Gale, the case that ultimately overturned bus segregation in Alabama. Colvin rarely talked about her heroic action until the 1990s. I'd like my grandchildren, she said, to be able to see that their grandmother stood up for something a long time ago. Come on, come on, come on, brothers. Can y'all get with me on this? Can y'all understand what I mean when I say we have to protect our women? We have to. Because if we don't, who's going to stand up? They always stand up. Mama bears, they always stand up. Even when they're not mothers, they have that motherly intuition and, and, and instinct and, and drive and thrive. They, 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 they push forward. When, when, when we feeling weak, they make sure that we're going to get back up. That's what they do. And we can't protect them? Are you kidding me? Stand behind me. I'll protect you. I'm going to talk about Marty Below, 1925 to 2019. This young lady passed away last year. The daredevil who served as MLK's right-hand woman. You see that? Right-hand woman. In 1955, Maud Below, a young mother who had studied business and literature in college and was program director of the first black radio station in Montgomery. A lot of stuff went on in Montgomery. Uh, she was approached by her husband's friend, a young minister and activist named Martin Luther King Jr. She became his secretary. After agreeing, Baloo became the Reverend Dr. King's right-hand woman from 1955 until 1960. Years of great unrest and transforming events that included the Montgomery bus boycott, the publication of King's first book, Stride Towards Freedom, and the prayer pilgrimage for peace in D.C., her workplace, her workplace, Baloo, 
in enormous danger. In 1957, she was listed as number 21 on the Montgomery Improvement Association list of persons and churches most vulnerable to violent attacks. King was at the top of the list. She was his right hand. Her children's lives were threatened, and the KK members watched her at work through the windows of the church, but Baloo just kept on working. I was a dead devil, I guess, she told the Washington Post in 2015. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. We protect them. We got to protect them. Protect these black women. Respect these black women. Love them. Honor them. And when you feel that they're not doing what they're supposed to do right, then you pull them to the side and you tell them and you, you teach. You inform. You communicate. She continued to say, I didn't have time to worry about what might happen or what had happened or what would happen, said Baloo, who went on to serve as a teacher and college administrator. We were very busy doing things, knowing that anything could happen, and we just kept going. Baloo passed away August 26, 2019. She was 93 years old. She's strong woman, 93. Come on, man. I'm going to give y'all one more. Eh, let's see. All right, I'll give y'all two more. I'm not going to make this too long. Diane Nash, born in 1938, freedom rider and nonviolent student activist for desegregation. A native of Chicago, Diane Nash hadn't experienced the shock of desegregation within the Jim Crow South until she attended Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. The whites-only signs scattered throughout Nashville inspired Nash to become the chairperson of the Student Nonviolent Coordination Committee, SNCC, in 1960. Look how close. That wasn't even that long ago. That was six, six damn, 60 years. Damn, 60 years ago. Seemed like it wasn't long. It was a long time ago. Where she, she organized a sit-in as segregated lunch counters throughout Nashville, Nash kept the group commitment to nonviolence front and center at the sit-ins, which proved very effective in ending discri discriminatory practices within the restaurants. The following year, Nash took over responsibility for the freedom rides and protests against segregated bus terminals that took place on Greyhound buses from D.C. to Virginia. The freedom rides, which were initially organized by the Congress of Racial Equality, Corps encountered a mob of angry segregationists as they entered Anniston, Alabama and were brutally beaten and unable to finish the route. SNCC, under the direction of Nash, continued to protest from Birmingham, Alabama to Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi and Alabama. <laughs> yeah. I ain't even got to say it. Before setting off with a group of 10 students from Nashville, Nash received a call from John Sigan Holler, assistant to Attorney General Robert Kennedy Jr., who tried to persuade her to end the Freedom Rides, insisting the bloodshed would only continue if they persisted. Man, this is why I say what I say. Now check this out. Nash, unshaken, unshaken by the stance of the White House, told Sigan Holler, that they knew the risks involved and had already prepared their wills before continuing the freedom rides. Come on now. Somebody tell me something. 
Somebody tell me something. This is what women, black women do and did and are still doing today. And we can't protect them and respect them and love them. Come on, man. Let's get off this BS and start protecting these women, man, who do everything to make sure that our lives are better. Come on, man. Let's get it together, brothers. And that, this is for everybody. If you see somebody disrespecting a black sister, we all need to say something, man. Because even when they wrong, we might be wrong too. More than likely we are. Because women always tell you what they're thinking before they do. So we just have to pay attention. Nash later moved back to Chicago and went on to serve as an advocate for fair housing practice. So she continued her work. She continued, after all of that, she continued to try to help people. And we can't protect them. She's out there trying to protect people, poor working families. Her contribution to the success of civil rights movements have been increasingly recognized in the years since. In 1995, historian David Halberstein described Nash as bright, focused, utterly fearless with an unerring instinct for the correct tactical move at each increment of the crisis. And I'm going to finish it off with this young lady because, again, next to every strong man is a stronger woman because she's going to always push you forward. Curtis Scott King, 1927 to 2006. Human rights activist, she was a pacifist, and she was a musician. In 1968, just days after the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his wife Coretta took his place at a sanitation workers' protest in Memphis. A few weeks later, she kicked off his planned Poor People campaign. She had long been politically active, but her husband's death galvanized her activism. King earned a bachelor's degree in music and education from Antioch College and had met her future husband while studying at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston in the early years of civil rights movement. She hosted a series of popular freedom concerts, raising thousands of dollars for the movement. After her husband's assassination, King campaigned tirelessly, tirelessly to make his birthday a national holiday and raised millions to establish the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. An avowed feminist, she was active in national organizations for women and was an early advocate for the LGBTQ rights. During the 1980s, she was a vigorous opponent to apartheid. So that means she was, yeah, she was out there, South Africa. She didn't like that. King understood that she would be remembered as a widow and human rights activist, but as she once said, she hoped to be thought of a different way as a complex three-dimensional flesh and blood human with a rich storehouse of experience much like everyone else yet unique in my own way much like everyone else listen let me just tell y'all brothers man let's be real we have to protect these women man they out here doing what they got to do to hold us down they're raising our children. They're, they're, they're cooking our dinners. They're out working. 
they're braiding hair. You know, they're 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 loving. They're being activists. They're being abused. We need to protect them. They're being mistreated. We have to protect them. These women are being stereotyped. We have to protect them. We can't allow anyone to talk bad about our our women. We need to educate the haters. We need to educate the people that's out there talking reckless, not understanding what it takes to be a black woman. Black men out there that's listening to this, think about your mother. Think about your grandmother if your mother didn't raise you. Think about your daughters. Think about your sisters. Think about the women that's in our lives that we love and just reverse it and say, well, these are some women in my life that I might not know, but I know somebody loved them, care for them, respect them, feel a way about them. Let's protect them. Let's put all, all the bullshit aside and let's actually do our jobs and, 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 and protect our black women, man. It ain't that hard. Sometimes all it takes is a little bit of knowledge, giving them a little feedback, listening to what, they, they, what they're talking about. We always want to call women emotional, but women are like cats, right? And not to, not to be funny, but women are like cats, and I want, I want to show you why I say that. Cats don't bother you unless they need something. Think about that. These sisters don't bother you unless they need something. Think about that. If you're doing your job and listening, like they can be going through something. They can be having breakdowns, mental issues. They can be going through work issues. They can be have you know, physical body issues. The body is changing. They can be going through anything we don't know, but they will find a way to try to tell you. And yes, we communicate differently, women and men, right? But if you listen and you have your ear close and you pay attention to your woman, your sister, your mother, your aunt, and we focus and we take a second to really Listen, you know what's going to happen? We're going to hear them. Because sometimes they're crying out. Sometimes they're trying to warn us. If we don't listen, it might be a time when there's something that's going on and she see it, but we're so caught up in what we're doing. Do you know if something happened to me, or to you, or, or to someone that these black, beautiful women love, we just broke down their whole lives, like their lives. Could, that's not protecting them. Protecting them also means protecting ourselves. But how do we do that? We do that by communicating with our black women. It ain't always about guns and shooting and fighting and physical shit. 
Protection comes in so many different ways. Protection is love, affection. Protection is being able to have some guidance and take some guidance. Protection is to stand by her no matter what. And if it's something that you can't handle, you still leave that situation as an adult with peace and respect. You might be a little hurt, but were you listening before she made that decision to do what she do? I talk to women every single day and it's the same story. Nobody's listening. We have a lot of things that's going on in our lives, but we gotta make sure we protect the ones that's gonna hold us up. It's always gonna be that woman that's gonna hold us up. Let's not, let's not, uh, let's not disrespect them. Let's not stereotype them. Let's not walk over them. Let's not be abusive. Let's not be mentally abusive. Let's not be, you know, bad people to the women. And if that woman is not for you, it's okay. Again, I said it in my podcast. If a person is not for you, agree to disagree. Walk away. Walk away on a mutual respect that we've realized that we're not good for each other, but we don't have to be nasty. You protect it that way too. Remember, love is love, man. We got to do what we got to do, man. We can't allow some of these men out there to talk bad and negative and, and be divisive because we ain't got time for that. We need to grow. We need to grow. We need to grow through unity and respect and honesty and loyalty through communication. Anyway, this is your guy, your man, Mr. Talk 718, with Talk Life, the podcast. Again, make sure you guys follow me and subscribe. Make sure you press that thumbs up if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to this video on any of my podcast platforms, please feel free to leave a message, to follow. I would gladly appreciate that. And I want to also say hashtag black equality movement or hashtag BEM. And again, make sure you guys subscribe and follow me on all social media platforms. Talk life with Mr. Talk. 718. Peace.